The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are happy to have you join us today. Today, we have a great guest, songwriter, recording artist, Amy Grant. We have part one of our two-part series with Amy. Ian helps Amy find her number, and one of the really cool things about this is he does so by using stances, so you're really going to get a lot out of this regardless of what number you are. So I know you're going to enjoy today's episode, and without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Amy Grant, welcome to Typology. Thank you so much. Yeah, and Jennifer Cook, welcome to Typology. Thank you for having me here. Man, how long have you been managing, Amy? This is year, year number 30. I moved really? here in December wow. of 89, 1989. Wow, 30 years. Well, yes. I'm excited you're here because today we're going to be trying to figure out Amy's Enneagram number, which has been a source of confusion and debate in the wilder world of the Enneagram. What number is Amy Grant? And today we're going to, well, I don't know if we're going to find out, but we're going to try and hone in on it, see how it goes. And so, Amy, how did we meet again? I think we met because we were both presenters at Al Andrews' fundraiser for Porter's yes. Call, Story and Song. Story and Song, yeah. That was a fun night, though. That was fantastic. That was a really fun night. Yeah, Becca Stevens, you, me. Yeah. Yep. And uh, at the Ford Theater, Country Music Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Yep, good night. Now, I do have a story to tell about Amy Grant um, that I, I can't resist. Um, so you invited me out to your farm. So you have a 400-and-some-odd-acre farm here in, uh, outside of Nashville. And you kind of were kind of like showing me around, right? Mm -hmm. You want to tell the rest of the story? <laughs> <laughs> when you first started, I thought, I wonder if this is a story I know. And then yeah. I, and it I is was so you, glad, yes. Yeah, yes. Um, so you know this story, right? I, re I recall some of it. Okay, so you have these three old cabins. How old are they? Like late 19th century? They were century? moved there oh. in 1896. <laughs> they were moved there in 1896. So okay. They, they, yeah. All right. So for those of you, I want to give everybody sort of a sense. It's sort of a... Campus isn't the right word, but it's like a little, what is a little campus of cabins, and they're mm -hmm. charming and beautiful and antique, right? And mm -hmm. people uh, often go out there and retreat, and then there's tending the fire, right? Or, yes. And yeah. all kinds of stuff that happens out there. Anyway, so you were showing me these different cabins, right? And we go in one, and then Vince calls you. Yes. Remember? Yes. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just step outside, because the cabins aren't huge, Right, I think I'll just step outside because that would just be the polite thing to do. And I go to the door, and I, I keep pushing the door of the screen door, and the door won't open. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking, right. what is there like some Harry Potter magic code to the door here that <laughs> yes. I don't know about? You know, I'm yeah. usually I'm pretty good with screen doors. You know what I mean? So, and then you got off the phone, and I'm, <clears throat> I said, well, Aim, like, what's with the door? I can't. And she, you're like. You're like, well, nothing. And then you couldn't open it. That's right. The wooden latch had just flopped down. 
the oh antique wooden <laughs> latch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's just nice to be able to not have the doors flapping in the wind because it's right. on a hilltop. And the, so we'll close them yes. when no one's using a cabin. Yes. But I guess it had gotten loose. So we walked in and that little wooden latch just flopped down over the yes. edge of the door. So now we're trapped in this cabin. Now, <laughs> the cabin has a crank right window right right well first of all now there's a lot of laughter going on right because it's <laughs> like oh my, my gosh out. yes oh, that's right no I got there right that's after. because she was calling for help she was calling you <laughs> she had she had this terrible vision in her mind of like being trapped with a sh- you know someone like me for an extended length of time in a small cabin in the woods anyway so we can't open the, no, the window opens but it's one of those the cranks so it goes it out to the side wide doesn't open. swing wide open yeah. right well, needless to say, I won't go into the whole story. It's like, what, 10 feet off the ground, this window? It, it's a little ways off the ground. Yeah, like 12 feet. It, I mean, it, it felt riskier than it probably was. But, <laughs> right. But, well, but there are rocks at the bottom, like drainage rocks. I mean, it was yeah. looking like a broken ankle waiting to happen. Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So then you say, oh, no, I'm going to jump out the window. And I'm like, you can't jump out the window because then you're going to break an ankle. And then Vince is going to meet us in the emergency room. And he's going to hit me in the face for making you jump out the window to open up the cabin. Right? So I try to jump out the window. But, you know, the glass is right there at this cranked out window. So you can't like leap off it because you'll do a right you have to ease down so i had to turn around like mr bean it looked like mr bean as i'm going down <laughs> the side of the building yeah. to get out anyway that's my my famous story of being trapped out in the woods in a cabin that we couldn't get open in in the in the in the middle of, uh, of nowhere tennessee it was fantastic that's right well we're really glad that you're here thank and, you and uh obviously huge longtime fans of your artistry and your spirit and your work and um you know the time we spent together for me has always been i always leave feeling in you know sort of enlarged of a heart you know when i when i leave my time that i spend with you so thank you for that including this morning when we shared an orange quinamon roll which has now taken hold of you like an ambien yeah i feel it I feel it in in every cell of my body. Yes, because you just had 46 grams of sugar. Yeah, right right after I said, no, I'm not really a breakfast eater. Which is why Jennifer's here, because if you fall asleep, then I can talk to her about you, which would be great. I won't make your heart feel so large, though. (laughs) (laughs) I tend to have the opposite effect on people. (laughs) Amy, you first heard about the Enneagram when? In one year, I was actually, oh, excuse me. Over a decade ago, okay, um, um, I was given a book by Beverly Mansfield. Okay, and she said, "This you should study this. This would be very helpful." And that book went onto my bookshelf. And then um, two years ago, someone was keeping the fire and came at our farm and came out and said, and they had this massive volume. Mm. And I said, "This is so interesting because I have not ever." really explored this and Mm -hmm. they said keep this book and then i was in portland oregon and i had a conversation with a woman named tara brown i know tara who was flipping over your book yeah and i she's worked for don miller Mm -hmm. yes and and on tara's advice she said get this book the road back to you and so you know, my mode of transportation that I inherited from my mother, I ordered a case of books and gave it to my whole family for Christmas. <laughs> well, bless you. 
Uh, I appreciate that. My children in college much appreciate it, you know. Now, do you know what type you are? I am not sure. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you what I was told by a childhood friend that I was a nine. Okay. Um, in a non-traditional sense of adventure, I read through them and I thought that I was an, a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think adventure happens in different ways, and creativity is its own kind of adventure mm-hmm. that involves risk. Um, and so, and then I did a test, and it said possibly seven, possibly three, possibly nine. Okay. In that order. So mm-hmm. I'm not really, I don't know. What was it get? Possibly seven, possibly three. Possibly nine. Nine. In that order. In that order is what they said. Interesting. But I okay. couldn't decide if I had just taken so many tests that I would see the, a familiar, you know. Yeah. Mm, I don't really. And then, I mean, regardless of what number you are, you're still functioning. Yeah. Sort of the way you've always functioned. Right. So it's not like I went, oh, I can't figure out my number. Right. So, um, but I have, I sat through. Um, a couple of classes mm-hmm. taught by Hunter Mobley, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the Enneagram. And, and when he got to seven, all my three sisters were pointing to me. Mm. But I, I thought, well, I only appear to be an adventurer by comparison to them. Mm. Okay. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, my parents were naturally very um, reserved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they would be like, oh, you totally broke out of the box. And they're not talking about like career steps, right. but just the way we live our lives. That the adventures that we have as a family tend to be orchestrated by me. Mm. Um, but I think that a lot of time that's the role of the baby, the family, because mm-hmm. you that familiar feeling is everybody mm-hmm. being together. So you're like, oh, why don't we all this? Why don't we all that? Mm. But um, But then last year I was camping with some friends at a music festival and once again the book came out and my friend that I was camping with is clearly a seven and so she and she pegged me as a nine Mm. so I don't really you're not sure I'm not sure and I don't know how one would be sure yeah and here's the other thing it's always who were you at 20 we'll go back to 20 but because of where work has taken me, I felt like from the time I was 16 on right. that I was always put in situations that were not of my own choosing mm-hmm. and and constantly adapting. It was not mm-hmm. a bad thing. It was just not – it was just different. Yeah. You know, I mean, from early on, I was part of someone's fiscal year. <laughs> so that created a regimen for my life that was – preset felt preset yeah you know i think you're you're a tricky case because from what 17 18 years old you started to live a very different life mm-hmm. and you had a, people who had a lot of lots of different people with lots of different interests right involved in your life and, and i was exposed to so many different environments Mm -hmm. and like front row seat instantly Mm -hmm. and so my you know what the things I was exposed to things that piqued my interest you know I don't know that I would have found those things by myself right Mm. 
Yeah, because people do often say when you're trying to find your type, try and think back to when you were younger, simply because at 20, all of us were less self-aware than just about at any other point in our lives, right? I mean, hopefully, as we get older, we all develop a little bit more self-knowledge. But man, when you're just, you know, flowering in your personality at 20 and, you know, it can be charming at 20, but not so charming at 40, um, you know. So, all right, well, let's try and see where this goes and see if we can find it. You know, okay. I, I one of the things I always tell people when I'm helping them find their type is to remember that you're all nine types. Everybody's everybody, all nine. Yeah, sure. Everybody yeah. contains all nine yes. types. Yeah. So one is just dominant, right? Okay, yeah. Um, but... You know, in a given day, I can be an eight. I can be a three in certain areas. I can be a one. I can be a, you know, I'm very one-ish as a perfectionist around my writing. But, you know, I can be very five. I love research, you know. You know. So anyway, we, we have all of these in us. Right. But there's a default one, right, that we go to all the time. And really what determines type is the unconscious motivation. Okay. Right? So underneath the each of these types, there is an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences the way that type thinks, acts, feels, the way that it sees the world. And what's so helpful about the Enneagram is if you can get that unconscious motivation into conscious awareness, and then you can begin to go, oh, that's why I predictably and habitually do these patterns that don't work, you know? Yeah. And you can then become the healthiest expression of yourself just through growing in self-knowledge and self-awareness, letting go of the stuff that's not so good and turning the volume up on the stuff about your type that's wonderful, right? So I say that not just for you, but for everybody as they, you know, try and figure this out, right? So did you ever read stuff on the nine and have a reaction to it or? Yes. And I remember going, okay, that, yeah, that, some of that feels familiar okay some things like when it comes to problem solving right or confrontation mm-hmm. i don't think i run from that at all cost in fact i would just rather who let's figure this out and get it out on the table mm-hmm. my ex-husband and my husband would both say wow <laughs> she will take you out at the knees just trying to get the truth out on the table mm-hmm. and so were you always like that, though, or was that something you've learned over time just through suffering and learning and, you know? I don't know. I'm looking at Jennifer. <laughs> I've known you for 30 years. I know. What do you think? I don't know. I, I see some of nine in her, but that it doesn't totally ring true. I don't think you're afraid of, not afraid, but just you confront what you need to confront. You're not, you'll pick up the phone. If there's a miscommunication, you'll, yeah, I don't know. It's not peace at all costs or anything right. like yeah. that. That doesn't ring true. Okay. The thing that rang true for me about a nine was automatic reframing. Like to me, I just, my mind naturally reframes things in order to provide meaning Mm -hmm. to whatever is happening. Mm -hmm. Well, just whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So meaning, meaning like, like, um, this is how this experience for good or for ill fits into the larger picture of, um, something that uh, brings it depth and purpose in a person's life, or do you uh, reframe it as something funny? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this example springs to mind, so right. I don't know if this is, but I was called yesterday by a fellow parent who I really like, 
about um, a situation with a coach mm-hmm. at school, and the coach's behavior was being called into question. And this person said, I understand your daughter had a run-in with the coach. And I, I just said, I, the run-in that we had, to me, was a great opportunity for several days of conversation with my daughter. Mm. And so I, wouldn't ha- I would have never pursued somebody saying, we've got to go talk to the higher-ups. Because it's like my feeling is whatever comes to you in life, there is it's an opportunity. Like the kindergarten or preschool teacher said, look, you've got two options. Prepare the road for the child or the child for the road. And I went, oh, whew, thanks. Well, that makes sense. And so everything that comes up in life, it's like, okay, well, this, this is one of those chances to prepare the child for the road. And then after they've launched, I'm not worrying about a continuing job right. of prep. So, yeah, so I guess that's what I mean, reframing. But I wouldn't have come up with that perspective. It was a kindergarten teacher. So, yeah, like at 58, it's hard to say. In a Petri dish all by myself, who would I have been? I don't know. Mm. All right, so one of the ways you can get someone's Enneagram type is okay. by figuring out their social style. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And there are <laughs> three groups of three. Okay. On the Enneagram. Yes. It's called the second set of triads. Now, the numbers in each of these triads, this, what these triads describe is how these types get what they want in life. Okay. okay. So how do they get what they desire? Okay. And so one set of those three, right, is called the assertive types. Okay. And assertive types are three sevens and eights. Okay. All right. And... Their posture or their stance in the world is to move kind of like against people, but not in a negative sense. It's like they move when they want something, they go right at people to get it. You know what I mean? Like, so they, um, they think about what they want and they take action, right? They're doers. They go and take action to do it. So for a seven, they will go after pursuing new and interesting and fun things. So their assertiveness comes up when it's like, oh, I want to go do that fun thing. And they'll go do it. They'll go right at it. For a three, they, it's more subtle. What, what, what happens for them is they focus more on their own goals. But if you get between them and their goals, they will stand up to you. They get assertive, right? And eights is kind of obvious. They're called the challengers. Their, their assertiveness comes right out at you. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like you'll know right away this is a very aggressive type. So those three types in the assertive stance go right up against people. Right. Does that sound like any of those sound like you? Are you an assertive lo- type of person? I don't feel I feel like I um I don't feel like I'm in somebody's face. Mm-hmm. If any one of those I would just overall if I had to say yes or no, I would say no. Okay. But there are things that are interesting to me that are exciting to me. It might not be jumping out of an airplane exciting, but an idea that's exciting mm-hmm. or an experience that's exciting. Right. <clears throat> and I find a lot of energy to be assertive about those things. Right. So. Um, okay. So let's move on to the next one. Because I think okay. <clears throat> the reason I love stance work, and this is so good for our people here, is that stance, I can, huh? these are called stances. So it's like your social style, your, your, the way that you stand in the world, your posture in the world. Okay. So, you know, there are just some people who go right toward people. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And no. 
So, and I say in my experience of you, no, not so much. No, no. Uh, your energy doesn't go, I mean, immediately right out toward people, Mm-mm. right? Right. Um, but that's me. And I won't tell you your type, of, if, even though I had an opinion about it. You know what I mean? Right, it's because right. the Enneagram is all self-verifying. So, all right, let's move on to the next one. Because in lots of ways, what people don't know is that if you do stances, it's the quickest way to find out your type. Hmm. Okay, just okay. by how, what's your stance in the world. Okay, yeah. so there's another set of three numbers on okay. the Enneagram. So we just talked about three sevens and eights, the assertive types that are called the compliant types. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's one, two, and six. And their focus is is kind of more on society and on people, uh, in the sense the people around them, rather than on themselves, which is more like the assertive types. So their focus is a little bit more about the people around them. Okay, and these people, instead of moving against others like three sevens and eights do, move with others. Okay, they move with others. So. They focus on feelings, what's happening around them, and then they act in response to it, right, accordingly. So for a two, you know, Jennifer, you're a two, right? Well, I don't know. Let's keep talking. Oh, okay. Oh, man, this is going to be a double header. All right. So so for you, this is like you're just – if you were a two, you're very focused on other people's feelings, what they need. Your unconscious motivation is a need to be needed – to meet the needs of others, to win appreciation, their appreciation, while at the same time not acknowledging your own needs and not being in touch with your own feelings. I don't feel like that's you, Jen. Uh-oh. I, I, I feel like you're more the first stance. Yeah, I was relating to the <clears> – <throat> I was relating to yeah. three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So – do you see how helpful this is? Yeah, because yes. right now we can, eliminate, yes. we can eliminate like six types. Right. Right. By just saying, okay, right, which of these three pools do you swim in? And can I tell you, you can eliminate all of those for me. <laughs> I have never taken my cues, I don't believe, from going along with. I mean, yeah. I, I happily go, oh, we're going in the same direction. Right. But, yeah, no. Right. So Not at all. Right. So for like ones, for example, they tend to be very compliant with social standards, rules, protocols. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that sort of a stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Jennifer's just shaking her head like, no, that's not Amy. That's not, not Amy. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, and sixes will um, act more towards the situation that they're presently within. And they tend to be like, and all three of these numbers do, they tend to go... Um, they tend to think there's a lot of group think with these numbers they can do group think okay you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. oh the group thinks that i think that right D- jennifer no right no okay we just not. moved you out of the yeah. compliance yeah. stance okay. all right so let's yeah. let's talk about the last one fours okay. fives and nines all right and this is called the withdrawn stance all right okay so <clears throat> they don't move with people like the um folks in uh, the compliance stance. They don't move against people like those in the assertive stance. These are people who tend to move away from people. Okay, now that doesn't mean they don't love people, that they can't be very present and caring. It's not that. Right. It's just that in getting their basic needs met, they tend to look more into themselves mm-hmm. for that than outwardly. Um, so um, they're highly imaginative. They focus on thinking and feeling um fours i'm a four okay <clears throat> and we can withdraw socially although i'm a subtype of a four that's more of an extrovert um and you know we take to t- spend a lot of time constructing 
our individuality, our originality. And now a five, they, a five often withdraws sort of physically. You can almost get a sense that they're becoming emotionally detached. They're distant. They feel emotionally distant. Okay. They have a strong need for privacy, um, for solitude. That's where they recharge. Okay. And then nines. Okay. Now, nines are interesting in this stance um, because you don't necessarily physically withdraw from the world mm-hmm. if you're a nine, but you can zone out in the world. Uh, it's sort of a mental withdrawal into a, an inner kind of sanctum. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing over I'm there. I'm laughing looking at Jennifer. Jennifer, right? It looks from Jennifer. Okay, yeah, so Jennifer, so do we, do we think, well, I mean, we've already eliminated two stances. We think you're in this right into the right into withdrawn stance okay so when we come back we are gonna nail the number (laughs) okay Okay. the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We are going to solve the mystery. (laughs) All right? Okay. Amy Grant, Jennifer Cook. Amy, we're trying to figure out your type. We've we've moved through the compliant and the uh, aggressive stances. We've decided that that's not your social style, your way of being in the world. Jennifer has been here nodding, shaking her head back and forth. We know we're in the withdrawing stance now, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you the three unconscious motivations, one for each of those types. So this is what's powerfully influencing the way they think, act, and feel. Right. So for a four... The unconscious motivation is a need to be special and unique in order really to compensate for what they perceive is a fundamental flaw or interior deficiency, right? So there's a, a kind of melancholic flavor to this type. It's, um, they're, they're actually kind of the quintessential romantic artist who suffers for their work. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, so... The five, they're called the romantics. The fives, which are called the investigators or the observers, these are people who are the most analytical number on the Enneagram. Their unconscious motivation is a need to acquire information and knowledge, particularly about niche subjects. They cannot, information is power. They cannot stop reading, studying, gathering knowledge and really it's a way to fend off a sense of inadequacy um, and ineptitude right now we come to nines nines uh they're called the sweethearts of the enneagram did you know that jennifer do you know but this is so appropriate (laughs) (laughs) so they are they're called the they're called the sweethearts of the enneagram um they are um their unconscious motivation 
really is a need to um, maintain connection with others, um, to avoid conflict as much as possible. I'm getting to the place in my life on this type, by the way, where I don't go at all costs. It's like as much as possible. Okay. They want to avoid conflict um, because they're afraid that conflict um, will lead to disconnection, right? So, and they, they tend as part of this strategy to merge with the opinions, the preferences, the viewpoints, the um, uh, sometimes the dreams and desires of another person or of a group, right? So they don't, I think the message that they hear growing up is, or that they internalize is, you know, my presence doesn't really matter very much. Like I'm not, and so they don't tend to assert themselves into situations. Um, so you said some things to me earlier that I'll just tell you a couple of things I heard okay. earlier that were like triggers for me. Right. Right. When we were talking earlier this morning. So you said to me that you often have gotten into relationships with very um, strong, assertive, outspoken women. That that's what I prefer, actually. Okay. So tell friends. me why you tell me why. I just love the energy of it. I love. It's inspiring. I love the ping pong of mm-hmm. ideas. Right. Um, and maybe it's because I have those ideas, but I'm not assertive with them. Right. Uh-huh. So my wife yes. loves strong-willed, loud, funny, brassy, maybe a little trashy, mouthy at times. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like just big women personalities Yes. because she is precisely not that. And it's like when that big energy is filling the room, then she doesn't have to assert herself. It's almost like, you know, it gives her the opportunity to kind of fade a little bit, you know. Now, I'm not saying she doesn't enjoy the back and forth piece of right. it. But um, I think lots of nines are attracted to big, bigger personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not careful, they can fuse with them in a way that they kind of lose their own identity into this larger identity. You know, that's if they're not healthy and not paying attention, right? But I know lots of nines that just love to be around big people, you know? Well, hey, we hope you have enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Amy Grant and her manager, Jennifer Cook. Be sure and tune in next week with us as Ian continues to discuss stances and helps Amy uncover whether or not she is a nine, what the implications of that are. Until then, this is Anthony Skinner, producer of Typology, wishing you a great day.